Welcome to this edition of On Politics. I'm Dr. Eric Morrow at Tarleton State University, and we're glad you are joining us this week uh, for uh, this uh, episode of the show. Uh, I do want to start out the show, one, by emphasizing what I do on a regular basis, that uh, you can listen to us right here each week, Sunday at noon on 90.5 KTRL. You can follow us on Facebook. I post related articles to the issues and topics that we discuss. I also, or the show is also available at tarletonradio.com. That streams when uh, the show is aired. But if you miss an episode, if you want to go back and look at topics we've discussed in previous uh, uh, shows, you can go to SoundCloud, and it's all there available. That's On Politics with Eric Morrow, and you can look through a whole whole host now, almost coming up on two years, uh, broadcasting on a weekly basis and offering engaging discussion and analysis and interviews on a wide range of issues, local, state, national, international looking at politics, policy, and the issues that impact our lives. I want to, at the beginning of the show, to go back to our discussion last week where we hosted Dr. Marcy Reynolds, and we talked about election laws in Texas, specifically looking back at the recent session of the state legislature where the Senate Bill 7 that was proposed to place limitations on the flexibility that local elections officials have in delivering those elections stalled at the last minute because Democrats walked out uh, of the state legislature. And so a lot of things happened following that. And one that happened uh, not too long after that episode or that show aired was Governor Abbott uh, calling a special session that will begin on July 8th and identifying that election laws and this a bill and the related issues would be on the slate for the next uh, for that special session. The governor determines the topics of those special sessions when the legislature is called to them, and so that gives the governor a lot of political clout here. And of course, the focus primarily, at least initially, will be on that. He also went ahead and. Uh, showed that he was very serious about this matter in vetoing the section of the state budget for the next fiscal cycle, which will start September 1, in cutting funding for the legislative offices, their aides, uh, and their and their support network, uh, which, again, it, that can be restored. The legislators can come back into special session and restore that funding, but now it becomes a point of negotiation with the governor in order to uh, uh, address the issues on his agenda and what's what he wants to be a part of those special sessions so as we discussed in the show last week we knew this would get very political we knew it would get very um, uh, engaging in terms of the different facets of it and how the governor lieutenant governor uh, the speaker of the house democrats and republicans in both chambers would be engaging with this and we're starting to see kind of the lay of the land here as we move toward a special session here in a few weeks. So stay tuned. There's a lot that will happen, and it will be interesting to see because Democrats are already talking about their strategy. Again, their focus being on voting accessibility uh, and some of the, the, the means and methods that have been used to try to increase that accessibility for voters, uh, whereas on the other side, it's looking about uh, at election security, right? It's looking at um, how... Uh, uniform does this need to be across the state? How much can the state control it? Of course, both sides are accusing each other of having political agendas here uh, in terms of this ongoing demographic change we see in the state, right? The changes in rural to urban, the changes we see in uh, uh, demographics along race and diversity, uh, and the makeup of state government, which has, of course, been dominated by the Republican Party now uh, for almost 20 years since we saw the final elements of that transition of both chambers and all statewide offices at the highest level being controlled uh, by uh, those associated with the Republican Party. So more to come. This is going to get uh, more interesting, more uh, drama, as we would say in politics, more gamesmanship, because it is at times a game who moves first and what, who blinks, who bluffs, who whatever we'll see. And we'll be covering that as we see how this impacts uh, upcoming elections, how election law might change in the state of Texas. 
Another item that was brought up by Governor Abbott that is our topic for the show today uh, was a focus on critical race theory, which this topic, at least in terms of the name, we're going to dig into this a little bit more and talk about why uh, this has become such a uh, hot button in addition to in, in the political sphere becoming one that is being very divisive and, and trying to actually focus on, on what it is, right? It's being a term that's being used that, that many people are just not understanding uh, what it is or the complexity of it, and we're going to get into that today. But Governor Abbott has used this along with uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick as a focal point related to public education uh, and in response, as we have seen uh, certain groups and, and politicians around the country, to some of the uh, issues around racial tensions uh, across our country, which we've seen a number of manifestations of that. We've seen a no number of, of different uh, actions on the part of people, uh, you know, some violent, others not so much, but this, this unrest around particular focal issues uh, that some are attributing to what they're saying is critical race theory. So we want to define that uh, for our listeners today. We also want to really uh, dig a little deeper into this and, and try to help it uh, people understand uh, what this is, uh, what actually are is the the focus of those who are trying to pass laws uh, that address it, um, and that way we have a better understanding of what what's going on and what what is really relevant, important, and critical in terms of not only the role of government. Uh, in addressing something like this, uh, but what is our public discourse in this country? What should we be talking about? What our focus should be in terms of our history and how that has shaped our institutions, our laws, uh, but also our society and our communities in order to know how to best engage uh, in these issues and uphold the values that we think are critical for a thriving uh, democracy that has room for uh, the, the opportunity and success for uh, all who are a part of it. So I want to welcome to the studio today, and yes, we are back in the studio again, two weeks in a row. Uh, this is uh, post-COVID history now, right, that we are not online, and we have our producer uh, here, Taylor, and we also have our uh, upcoming producer, Brianna, with us. Uh, so she's our studio audience today, and uh, I asked her to clap when we finished the show, but uh, anyway, she... She uh, smiled and, and just like Taylor does, right? So we're glad to have both of you here with us and in the studio. But we have with us today Dr. Derek Lehman, who is an assistant professor of sociology here at Tarleton State University. Uh, he studies and teaches about religion, gender, and politics in the United States. And his research has appeared in journals like Social Science Quarterly and the Journal for the Scientific Study of Religion. And as a, a professor of sociology, uh, my background is political science. We're both in the social sciences, uh, and there's some points of connection here in dealing with this issue. Uh, but because he also engages with politics, uh, that's right in line with our show, uh, which also means that you get invitations to come back in the future. But uh, uh, we have you here today, Dr. Lehman. Welcome. We're glad you were available to come and talk about this issue of critical race theory. Thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Very good. Well, let, let's let's start at the beginning. Let let's uh, for our listeners who are hearing this term tossed about in local national media by politicians by uh, a, a wide range of people. Um, uh, I was even at a forum uh, last week uh, that was focused on a local election, and someone submitted a question. Uh, for someone running for mayor or city council about what they were going to do about critical race theory. Uh, again, I, I'm thinking, okay, first of all, they have no role politically related to this, but but do they really understand what it is? And and so my first question really and for us to discuss is uh, let, let's define this. What, what does it mean when we're talking about this particular term? And then I think we'll, it'll also lead us in to discuss maybe how it's either being misused or people are using it to refer to other things that are of concern. Right. So I, I want to give a basic definition of critical race theory, but 
maybe before that, I want to give a little bit of context. One of the things I've noticed about this uh, this public discourse is uh, an utter lack of context. So right. in, in social science, theories are just sets of ideas that we're using to uh, organize our thoughts and our empirical research. Critical race theory is best understood as a, an umbrella term for a, a set of theories used across any number of academic disciplines as well as outside academia. So perhaps first in legal studies, but uh, criminologists are developing critical race theory and applying that in their research. Uh, people who study education, uh, political scientists like you and sociologists like me are all doing uh, critical race theory. The value of having the theory there is that it gives us a, a shared language across these disciplines so we can uh, speak to each other and understand what each other are saying. And so I can read the work of a legal scholar like Kimberly Crenshaw. And even though I have no background in legal studies, mm -hmm. uh, I understand what she's saying. The challenge there is that sometimes these different branches of critical race theory, uh, they don't always line up perfectly, and they might even directly contradict each other, and that makes it really hard to nail down a specific definition of, of critical race theory. But I think what all these branches of critical race theory have in common is that uh, they first show us that racial groups in the United States have unequal access to resources in society. And so what we mean here is that on average in the United States, white people have more material resources and greater access to power on average. The reason for this is because of uh, racism. The reason for this racial inequality is because of racism. Now, we typically think about racism at the individual level. We think about discriminatory acts that people do because of prejudice in their hearts. And that's certainly racism and we should identify that. And that's not a good thing. Critical race theory points to racism as a question of the way that society is organized, how we distribute resources. And that might be weird for us to typically think about because we think on that individual level, individual people are racist, but I can give us an example of structural racism. So I think we can all identify slavery as, as racist and bad and history of slavery, uh, the uh, you know transatlantic slave trade. Those are easily identifiable as as racist, but those weren't the product of the actions of individual people, right? That that was a question of uh, the laws in our society. It was uh, slavery was built into the U.S. Constitution. It was the basis for our economic system. So it's really a question beyond the individual and a question of the way that society is organized. Now the nature of that uh, systemic racism has changed over time, but that's the sort of uh, angle that critical race theorists are coming from, looking at systemic racism in society right so uh, some who are out there pointing to critical race theory as a as a problem in terms of education or, or trying to uh, say well we we don't need this and we need to put uh, measures in place to, to block this are, are claiming that uh, that this is about identifying people or even races themselves as racist, right? As right. as saying, okay, you were the cause of this, and because you're of this race, you're associated with that. Uh, and to me, that that right away from the definition you offered, uh, and 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 that's kind of contrary to that because it's it's not about uh, uh, demonizing a certain groups of people as much as it is being aware of. Uh, racist practices and 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 structures that that did have an impact and that are imp are perpetuated in some way, right? And trying to kind of root these out and under understand them is that is that correct? Trying to find a balance there, or at least a balanced understanding of what this is. Uh, absolutely, and it's it's um, unfortunate, although I think intentional, that. Uh, the, the focus in um, anti-critical race uh, legislation and uh, among politicians and commentators has been on, on perpetuating this idea that critical race theorists are out there telling little kids, you know, you're responsible for racial inequality, you know, you're racist. And critical race theory shifts our focus from the individual to the way society is organized. That doesn't mean we as individuals are, are you know, lack any culpability for what's happening in society, but that's not where the theory is focused. Right. So but, uh, this is very interesting that, that this debate is happening at a time when we had a national recognition by the president and by people across the country of what happened in Tulsa a century ago. Tulsa, Oklahoma, where uh, the 
African-American neighborhood and business district was burned. People were, were killed. Livelihoods were destroyed, which took 80 years. It wasn't until the late 90s that this began to really be looked at for what it was. And then here we are another 20 years. To me, this is a, a, an example that's staring us in the face as to why we need to examine uh, race and racism uh, within our society and looking at uh, the various ways that it is it, it is perpetuated uh, and 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 yet I don't know that people are seeing that why the question then it comes why does it take us uh, uh, 100 years uh, which seems to be something in our society right we go back and we look at uh, uh, the 14th amendment we look at the uh, Civil Rights Act. We look at all of these things that took so long to be in, in, enacted and become a reality in terms of the values that we promote in, in our, our country. Um, and, and so the, to me, that seems like that's an example. We, we have to be going back and looking at uh, these events and what caused them and what um, uh, and, and what vestiges are still there that lead to some of the, the problems and tensions and issues that we have in society today. You're right. And we are starting to have more of these conversations in society and this sort of rise in contention about critical race theory, the fact that it's become a public issue is not disconnected from those conversations that are happening. So we can trace the origins of critical race theory to say the late 1980s. So Derek Bell was a legal scholar and started talking about uh, uh, using that phrase critical race theory. So this theory has existed for over 30 years now, right? And for the last um, two decades, it's been mainstream in social science, uh, uh, graduate education, if not undergraduate education. So it, it's really curious to me why all of the sudden uh, people are talking about the, the dangers of critical race theory. And here I, I would point to some reporting that uh, Adam Harris did in The Atlantic. And he, he went to Fox News to look at how often they were uh, discussing critical race theory over time. And up until 2020, uh, he found four instances where Fox News talked about uh, critical race theory. One of those was in, you know, most of those were in passing as uh, Derek Bell passed away and, and things like that. But then after June 2020, he found 150 instances where Fox News was talking about uh, critical race theory. It's not a coincidence. Something really important happened in late May of 2020. George Floyd was murdered by a police officer, and this was courted and I think to some extent awakened a, a sort of consciousness in, in um, many Americans. And we started having more conversations about race. Anti-racist literature reached the, the top of bestseller lists. And I think it's important to recognize this uh, anti-critical race theory legislation in, in that light. And I say this because there's sort of a disconnect in the language of legislation like Texas House Bill 3979, um, where the, the people advocating this legislation are explicitly saying this is a ban on critical race theory. So on Governor Abbott's website right now, he says uh, of House Bill 3979, it's a strong move to abolish critical race theory. Steve Toth, uh, the state representative who's been the uh, who was the author and sponsor of this legislation, he's made numerous statements on uh, uh, why we need to ban critical race theory. But when you read the bill, it doesn't say the words critical race theory. Right. And that's really curious. And Steve Toth, uh, Representative Toth, was interviewed on CNN the other day, and it was sort of a contentious interview, so it uh, made some waves. But towards the end of this interview, he said something that I think is uh, really revealing. He said, and, and I'm quoting here, uh, we're not asking people not to teach about racism. We're asking teachers to absolutely talk about the egregious things of the past. He said, quote, to not teach about the egregious things of the past means that we as a nation could repeat them. We need to teach the past. And I think that quote really shows what's going on here. He's emphasizing that racism is a thing of the past, as if the past is somehow walled off from contemporary uh, uh, social dynamics. Yeah. And I think what this legislation is really about uh, is about prescribing ways of, of talking about race and racism that frame them as evil sins of our past, but nothing to do with what's going on today. And I think the ultimate goal there is to uh, uh, undermine efforts to reorganize society, to make our society more equitable. And I think that's uh, intentional. In, when we bring this into the political sphere, uh, in terms of how politicians interact with their constituents, right? So you're, you're mentioning these pressures. Uh, we had what happened with George Floyd. Uh, we've had uh, uh, a more visible uh, emphasis on uh, 
LGBTQ communities. We've had uh, a focus on uh, different groups that are trying to look to the past and tell the stories of, of what happened and what people's experiences were, and then to connect that to where we are today as a society, which does create tension, right? It sure. creates angst. It, it creates people looking at these things and going, okay, I, di- I didn't I didn't know about that, or how how is this connected to me and to my story and to where I am? Um, and of course, everyone wants to think that we've dealt with all of these things, right? That that yeah. we've we've changed. Look at what happened and 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 what knowledge they have about looking at the 20th century and saying, well, look at all of these this progress we made. Uh, and yet, uh, we both know as social scientists that that you can clearly find examples around this country uh, that in your own communities, people just don't look often to show some of the impact, uh, whether it's dealing with uh, uh, educational outcomes, whether it's dealing with uh, uh, access to opportunity, and and, and this is not to, to say that that again progress has been made, uh, but we can't stop it just saying okay, well we made progress. There are still elements there. I, I go back as a political scientist, and I'd mentioned this to you. We have a subdiscipline called American Political Development, and one of the books I use when I teach on the politics of civil rights, which again assumes that. It's uh, the course itself is yes, it's the past, but it's also the present, right? right because right. the politics of civil rights uh, continue. Um, but the the focus in that is is going back and looking beyond the 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 larger story, right? Which I think is at the point you were saying about where politicians and where those who are anti-critical race here that that where their focus is is that that we're going back and we're looking at. The, the, the stories, right? So one of the books that I use uh, looks at how African Americans engaged with attempts to get anti-lynching uh, legislation uh, passed and to, to get uh, the courts uh, to deal with it, which eventually they do. The legislation is, is problematic. Uh, and so in terms of institutional history, uh, it well, we have lynching and then it comes along to a point and uh, the Supreme Court deals with it in terms of how courts handle their process, and it's done. If you look at the story from the African-American perspective and you look at decades of advocacy, of reporting, of pressuring uh, political leaders uh, to address this, and, and, and we go, lynching? Are you serious? Right. I mean, you look at the right to life here in terms of of people being free, having due process. Right. Which was constitutional, but for decades was not applied uh, and and was circumvented in a number of ways. And it took us all that time. It took our our country uh, uh, all of this time institutionally to deal with it. But yet you had people that were working against it and trying to to advocate to have government address it. For, for a long, long period of time. Uh, th- those kinds of examples are there that, that uh, again, as you're saying with the theory, apply a, a method and a means of, of looking at any point in our timeline, 100 years ago or 10 years ago or five years ago or last week, right, and looking and digging in to see what what is actually happening, what what is going on in reality for people, no matter what their background, no matter what their race, in terms of their access to the values that we we support? And so, uh, again, in our disciplines, I think this is very, very critical. I think the challenge here is, you know, how do we how do we get people and even political leaders and so forth to 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 understand that? Because to me, this is a dangerous path. Mm. Because the further you go down that path, the more challenging it, it can become to do the kind of work that we do right. in wanting and, – and many, many scholars and researchers across uh, uh, the country and the world trying to engage and look at these stories, uh, whether it's Native Americans, whether it's African Americans, Asians. It, 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 there, there are just so many different uh, stories uh, that uh, that need to be understood in order for us to see uh, these challenges that are still some of w- many of which are still with us. And one of my biggest fears about the the legislation in Texas and in numerous other states now is that it will 
cut off opportunities for those mm-hmm. conversations. Right now, it seems like that's focused at uh, secondary education, right. uh, which is really scary and really important. Um, but you know, who knows where it goes from there? Certainly, universities are on the radar. It, it would seem, uh, and, and if we lose that opportunity to have those conversations, uh, we miss out on an opportunity to learn about those experiences, to see things from a different perspective uh, from my own. And I've found in the classroom that the the best uh, teaching that happens in my classroom is when students are talking to each other and they're sharing these diverse perspectives. And if if I can't have conversations about race, we lose all of that. And that's a, a really valuable thing uh, to lose. Well, I want to take a, a quick break, but when we come back, uh, we, we've we've done uh, a little bit here to define critical race theory and and how that compares and contrasts with what the broader discussion is. But the focus of this, as you just mentioned, seems to be on public education, uh, which uh, is also presents some challenges as well. Not not only in what's being advocated, but what actually is going on in public education that this is addressing. So we'll take a short break, and we'll be right back with more on politics. T for Texas is a Texas-based history podcast from historian Dr. T. Lindsey Baker. Find a new episode every Thursday morning wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to On Politics. I'm Dr. Eric Morrow, and I'm joined by Dr. Derek Lehman, Assistant Professor of Sociology here at Tarleton State, and we are talking critical race theory, the topic that is in the news. It's in our legislature. It's in politics all over the country. In fact, I looked at a map, and approximately one-third of the states in the country have some type of legislation uh, that either was proposed or is in progress or was passed, uh, including uh, the bill that's before Congress uh, in order to thwart critical race theory in Washington, D.C. public schools because the Congress oversees public education in the District of Columbia, uh, where um, the representative that proposed it from uh, Wisconsin uh, in looking at some of the things he's been saying or being interviewed, but then also contrasting that with uh, the high-level percentage of Hispanics and African Americans that make up uh, the public education system there. Again, also in Florida, uh, Governor Ron DeSantis come out and the comments that he's made about this and, and showing that there's a huge disconnect between what it actually is in terms of academic uh, research, in terms of a theory, and what politicians are making this uh, out to be. One aspect of this, as we get into the political sphere, is it's very much focused on public education. Uh, there, the, while there's been discussion about higher ed, uh, this is within the purview of state legislatures, right, to be able to pass laws that uh, connect with curriculum in uh, public schools and how that curriculum is structured and, and what's taught and what are the, the boundaries and limitations there. They do that through various agencies. Like in Texas, we have the State Board of Education, and then we also have the Texas Education Agency. Uh, the concern here in looking at this and in looking at teachers that are being interviewed all over the country is that uh, they don't teach critical race theory is what, what they're saying. And in the way we've defined it here, uh, now, the resources that they use in terms of the research that's been done there, but it, but again, the laws are so pointed at something that actually leaves a lot of this very, very vague uh, in terms of what room and, and how a teacher moves. I, to me, I kind of compare it in going back and looking at the teaching of religion. Years ago, it was decided, that, I mean, decades ago, that you could teach religion in public schools. You can teach about religion. You can't teach religion from a confessional perspective. However, a lot of schools, in order not to uh, enter into this realm of, of, of possibilities of lawsuits, of, of, of students going home, I mean, you, you can think about this here in Central Texas, a student going home from junior high and saying, hey, we learned about Muhammad the prophet in Islam today as one of the major world religions. 
school districts just saw that as an opening for lawsuits and contentious problems and everything, which to me is a tragedy, right? We don't learn about the diverse cultures and backgrounds of people all over the world in order to be able to engage with them and understand uh, what's happening in our world. Uh, And so what did they do? They shelved that curriculum and said, let's just not teach it. Wow, this is though history. We're talking about the history of our country. You can't just shelve U.S. history, uh, and 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 then also given the diversity of our country and even our state, I, I wanted to ask you, you know, some of your thoughts here on, on looking at this and what challenges it presents uh, in public education uh, when you have uh, teachers that are, that are already teaching about diversity. They're teaching about when we talk about multiculturalism education and kind of looking at and, 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 and more of this one-on-one relational aspect of, uh, of culture and of um, uh, understanding race, uh, this, I, th- I think, presents challenges even to that. Yeah, and there are, of course, numerous concerns I have about this legislation. Probably my, first and foremost in my mind is uh, I'm worried about the the specific language of the bill in the state of Texas and the implications for educators. And so I wonder, for example, what it means to explore race uh, and and racial inequality and racism without quote giving any deference to any one perspective. And I fully expect that the the effect of this bill will be that teachers will just censor censor these conversations, not because they personally don't want to have them, but because, like you said, that sort of liability that it might introduce. Um, and then that leaves us without a framework to to think or talk about race in society. And we fall back on this colorblind logic where we say, I don't see race. And that might work really well at the individual level when we're saying, like, I don't judge other people by the, the color of their skin. But when we're talking at a societal level and, and people are saying, well, there, there's differential treatment happening for, for black Americans in the criminal justice system or uh, indigenous people have less access to health care or uh, uh, Hispanic children are enrolled in uh, underfunded schools. And we say, well, we, we don't see race. It has nothing to do with race. We really just miss the entire problem. And we use that sort of colorblind logic to uh, explain racial inequality. So. In the classroom, let's kind of bring this down to the because I think sometimes politicians are so far removed from the classroom, right? They they don't know what actually goes on. They don't they don't know what is happening within within schools. They may look at the numbers. They may visit a school on occasion, but the challenges that this kind of presents to uh, to teachers and the fact that some may choose, like I was talking about with with religion, to say, okay, I I just don't want to put something out there that might even be suspected in some way. Because if we look at the mechanism for this, um, how how is the state uh, going to enforce it, right? How is this going to – and how would even be the process of determining what meets the level of what they're thinking critical race theory is? I mean, this gets into a whole area that's very difficult to, to enforce – where it gets enforced uh, comes from the community, right? It comes from people who then have their suspicions about, oh, well, I just looked at this worksheet, or my son or daughter told me that they were they talked about this in class today, or it's the other thing of, uh, is your teacher teaching this what they think it is, right? And and to me that's that's very very challenging in, in our environment. That's uh, as I said before, it's kind of a dangerous path. We would think about that in terms of at the college level of how difficult it would be to do our jobs if we lived under that cloud uh, like that. Um, and, and so um, I think our part maybe as academics and in an, in an academic community is how do we guide people through this? How do we guide teachers and maybe even school systems uh, in engaging with this uh, and not being afraid of it, right? Because if we're afraid of it, the impact of it could be much more detrimental if we don't try to engage with it at this point. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that, in, in, whether it's from the classroom or the school board level or the community, uh, because we've got to have this conversation. We, we've got to to uh, work our way through this, especially when you see legislation on the horizon that, again, could be and most likely will be challenged in the courts, right, as whether this is constitutional or not. So that could be the uh, – but but the the, the – whether that happens or not, that still the the conversation goes on. Yeah, and you know, I, I'm a little torn on on where to go from here. There, there's part of me that wants to say, you know what, 
we'll just forget critical race theory and, and you can have it and it's a bad thing. And then we'll have the conversation that we actually want to have about racial inequality in society. There's another part of me that wants to defend the concept and, and, and teach about what it is. I, I mean, for elementary educators, they are the experts on age appropriate content and age appropriate discussions. Um, so I would trust them, which this legislation in Texas doesn't, I would trust them to, to guide those conversations. And mm -hmm. my hope would be that we as a society would encourage them to engage in these conversations with, uh, uh students and understand that it, it's not always about having some answer or solution in the moment. The real value is in having the conversation and exploring these diverse experiences in our country and the diverse experiences of students in, in the classroom. As of right now in Texas, I don't know what I would tell a teacher. I could not begrudge them for choosing not to have those conversations about race and perhaps risking their job or, or, or something like that. I do find it a little ironic that the same crowd that decries cancel culture in our society is here putting forward legislation that would uh, literally ban the teaching of, of particular ideas. Um, you know, maybe things will, will settle here uh, a, a little bit. Um, um, there are plenty of, of resources out there for uh, uh, having discussions about anti-racism in society and the, the value of diversity in society. And, and again, teachers are the experts uh, in pooling those resources in for you know whatever grade level or whatever context that they're having those conversations. And I would trust our teachers to make those decisions. So this brings us, I think, to a, a point and a question in looking at how this has developed, as we've discussed, and where it is politically, uh, what impact it may or may not have, uh, in looking at some of the challenges that are going on in our society as a whole, uh, because that's where this is rooted, right? We, we, we have ongoing challenges. We've had events that people are interpreting and engaging with in different ways. Many of those people are far removed from where these things have happened and, and don't have the context to understand uh, some of these uh, some of these challenges. Um, you've been here uh, in, in Texas and at Tarleton for a, a number of years now, and you know some of the things that have happened here in communities around us and even in the state and the debates over uh, statute, Confederate uh, uh, monuments and, and, and the tensions around that. Uh, we've had uh, Black Lives Matters uh, marches. We had one here in Stephenville, but in, we ha we've had other others in other communities and, and on ongoing uh, debate and issues uh, around race. What do you see are, are some of those those challenges that are uh, kind of front and center that that, that people just you know, maybe they, they don't fully understand? Like because I think this is where critical race theory connects. Right. If we if we if we dove into this a little more and if we heard more stories and we, if we looked at the the past and we saw what has happened, uh, you know, more people are more comfortable uh, exploring the atrocities of Greeks on Greeks than they are of Americans on Americans, right? I mean that that and and that that shouldn't be the case. I mean we should be willing to embrace and engage with what's gone on in our country and how it has had an impact on us. Um, but uh, along that line, I think it, it where is this in the in public discourse in terms of these challenges that that we need to engage with and we need to. Um, try to help people understand uh, why this is important that we, un we we look at the history of our country that we that we look at our institutions and our structures we can't just you know rubber stamp them this was made in America and so this makes it the greatest thing in the world uh, we struggle with that in Texas right you know Texas is the well we've got a lot of challenges here if you look at the data and, and so forth uh, but I just want to get your perspective on that in terms of race and and the and the discussions around race and around uh, inequality and looking at that within our society because we both know as social scientists that it's there it's sometimes very deeply rooted it's it's sometimes uh, uh not known by the people who are making decisions in government uh it's uh perpetuated in ways that uh those who are experiencing it do not always have a voice really to to uh ask for uh, it to be changed uh, or they do and we're just not listening right so so I, I just thought you might have some things to offer 
Well, yeah, and it's it's important to point out. I've, I've heard uh, opponents of critical race theory say this is all uh, lacks any any evidence or research, right? And that's just simply not true. There are uh, volumes and volumes of research that show the the realities of of racial inequality in society. So I think broadly, we have a moral obligation as as a society to constantly examine our social systems and identify when we're not living up to our highest ideals. And so critical race theory often gets uh, accused of being anti-American, but I can't think of anything more patriotic than recognizing weaknesses in our system and working to rectify those. And so some people have said that critical race theory calls America irredeemably racist. Well, I think we're only irredeemably racist if we close off spaces to have those discussions about the causes and consequences uh, of racial inequality. And I, mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the stakes of of this debate right now. So right. Uh, in, in that lens, it's crucially important. We, we do a lot of focus on the show on civic engagement and how do we encourage greater levels of that around, like I, I said earlier, on the values uh, that, that promote a thriving democracy, which are you know, recognizing uh, the, the humanity in, in all individuals, respect, dignity, all of those things. Uh, to me, it, it seems like if that is closed off, uh, that we're, we're not supporting those kinds of values that, that create stronger bonds between people, no matter how diverse they are, which is what we need in this country, right? We've, we've needed that, and, and, and we've had that at, in different ways in, in, in spite of our differences. Uh, it's, it's never, you know, it's always an ideal that we never will fully attain, but we, we strive for greater levels of engagement. And, and if we, if we it cut off the ability to look at uh, these, these stories, if we, we cut off the ability to engage with our institutions and structures, uh, it, it really undermines the, some of those values. Uh, and it, because it then it tries, I mean, to me, it's more along the lines, and, and I throw this word out here, it's, it's generalizing in a way, but of, of trying to assimilate everyone into uh, uh, some some stream of a of a, of a story that well th- this is what it should be. I'm I'm giving you what your identity and what your uh, what your story and who you are should be. Not recognizing well it's these life experiences, right? It's the the context, the society in which you've grown up in that has shaped who you are. Yeah, and I think there's this crucial misunderstanding of of critical race theory that uh, I've seen folks say uh, critical race theory wants to divide us and put us in these Mm -hmm. camps based on uh, our race. And that that is just not at all what critical race theory is saying or uh, folks feel like critical race theory is uh, um, uh, boiling down our essence to the color of our skin. In fact, critical race theory is all about the exact opposite of that. It's it's an anti-essentialist perspective of race that says uh, this is not the thing that defines us. But at the same time, we have to recognize the consequences in, in society of uh, of the process of racialization, the process of creating these racial groups and uh, distributing resources uh, uh, in society on, on that basis. And, and so that's a, a real key place where I, I would urge people to uh, listen to some perspectives on critical race theory besides maybe what politicians with their interests are are telling us and uh, maybe some media commentators with their interests are, are telling us. And again, the perspectives that are being put forward about critical race theory just simply don't reflect the the reality of those perspectives or the complexity of of the perspectives under that umbrella of critical race theory. So so back to a political dynamic to kind of wrap this up, one of the things that I don't see, uh, and this could be just the attention that all the room and all the air in the room is being sucked up by this anti-critical race theory uh, movement within uh, uh, politics, are uh, people on the other side of this that are trying to to correct it right in 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 politics right so you and 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 of course that's politics in and of itself you don't want to make yourself the target uh of those who are you know pursuing some outcome that that's just a strategy you you let this play out and you 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 focus your attention and so forth on other things that connect with your constituents not with engaging in these uh, uh, dialogue. And so you see academics, you see journalists, you see others that are coming out and saying, look, look, we need to know more about this. We need to engage with it at a more substantive level because what's being told, what's being debated, it, it's it's not there. Um, what I would say on that then is as social scientists, our, part of our role is then to say, 
to those in positions of power and leadership and, and elected office, you're doing this, but we should be doing this. Uh, and and I think my question to you as a sociologist in looking at some of these things that have gone on in our state and around the country, what should government be doing? What what would be a role for political leadership in addressing some of these issues rather than it being trying to deal with the tension of constituents who want, like we talked about on election law last week, uh, something happened in 2020. It, we didn't get the outcome we wanted. Something was wrong with the election. We need to blame someone, and something needs to be fixed. We don't know what that is, right? We, we're going to leave that up to the political leaders to do something about it, but they better do something about it. It's the same. I think it's the same thing here. And I didn't know if you, you if you had any. Uh, a direction. I mean, I, I know we do, we don't have the magic bullet. We never do as social <laughs> scientists. We it takes us, in fact, a long time to study these things and to right. to come up with uh, with uh, ideas and so on. But but still, there people want political leadership to do something. And I feel at a massive disadvantage to politicians who can go on Twitter and say the immigrants are the reason you lost your job, right? And uh, I've got to return with you know research and and theory and and, and things like that. And that's a that that's a real challenge. But I, I think there is uh, uh, some common theme across sort of the sides of the political spectrum, a, a real dissatisfaction uh, with the state of the system. I don't know whether politicians are aware of this or not, but certainly the, the solutions to the inequalities of society, the accumulation of wealth at the top of society are not to have less immigration in society or to le- have less conversations about race in school. They're the, the solutions are to restructure the way society is organized, to uh, uh, have a more, um, equitable tax base where wealthy people are paying their fair share of taxes to uh, think about things maybe in a different lens instead of commodities, thinking about things like healthcare and education as uh, investments that our society is is making. One of the, the real fears that I have with this legislation in Texas is at the edu- at the elementary level, it, it cuts off those conversations about race and racial inequality. And when students get to the, uh, the, the college level where I'm at, it's more difficult to have those conversations. And, and those students are ultimately becoming uh, voters and they're they're sort of directing those politicians and it seems to me like this is strategic right that that this is a, a long game being played where people with power are using that power to uh, uh, reinforce their own power to uh, create systems that it's more difficult to to challenge their power and authority in society um, hopefully people who are uh, uh, don't have that mindset will see themselves as being capable of being politicians. This is a place where uh, representation matters in terms of seeing ourselves and our elected leaders. So uh, uh, as a white man, I always, the, the people in power in our country look like me and I could see myself making important decisions. And so uh, uh, it's important that we have uh, representation that, that looks like our population and can uh, understand some of that background. And I hope that people will see themselves as, uh, well, hey, I could do that job and I have this set of experiences uh, and I can bring that to the table as opposed to people who are uh, coming from positions of wealth and and, and privilege uh, and using that to gain political power and then entrench their political power. So one of my questions uh, then in looking at that from the political level now down to the community level, right? Because we know as social scientists and engaging with this that a lot of it comes down to how people respond to their own particular environment and context. Uh, one is we could say, I think, and the reason for this focus on this issue is to get people to think more critically about critical race theory, pun not intended in that, <laughs> sure. you know, in that that we should be doing that anyway, right? Any, And that's the purpose of this show is to get people to engage with political issues and to to be more informed. Um, but we, we also look at this in terms of, of local engagement with a school district, with city leaders and so on. And we see this often filter down in politics where an issue that's going on at the state or national level, uh, uh, people are engaging with it in a certain way in trying to accomplish a certain outcome. And if you're related to that in terms of political party or affinity with that particular politician, uh, you pick up on that, right? That becomes your agenda, whether you know anything about it or not. You're, you're uh, like the question I got at the forum was, okay, a mayor doesn't have anything to do with this, uh, but okay, what, where is your alignment with this issue? Does that align with who I am looking to for leadership here? Um, I always try to have an element here on some of these issues where it comes down to the individual. Um, 
in terms of their role and responsibility. And, and, and what do you see there? I mean, we, we teach about this in our classes, right? Part of what we're teaching is not just to give them the, the breadth of a discipline, but also how do you apply this to the world in which we live? Uh, I, I didn't know if you had you know, thoughts on that. To be think, How do we think about uh, as citizens within a community uh, that we not only learn more about this, but that, that we engage uh, with it in understanding uh, what critical race theory has, has tried to encourage scholarship and, 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 and research to do, right? We, we do that on our own, or we don't, right? I mean, that's how aware are we of diversity within our own community, of, of, the, of the stories and the challenges of people around us? Well, I think we each have a responsibility to be uh, informed. That's easier than ever. So you can Google critical race theory and pull up a Wikipedia page. It's not the most trustworthy source, but I can tell you the Wikipedia page on critical race theory isn't bad. It can give you some direction. And what you'll find is the the things that politicians are writing legislation about and commentators are talking about on television don't reflect the realities of critical race theory. One of the things that that I've learned in conversations about race of painful lesson that I learned as a professor is sometimes when I'm talking about race, the, the real thing I should be doing is be quiet and listen to other people mm-hmm. and, and uh, uh, hear them and value uh, their experiences. And that doesn't cost us anything. That's a, uh, a, an easy thing that we can do. Um, and then m- maybe uh, we need to do a little soul searching and, uh, uh, you know, think about um, the frames that we use to, to describe success and struggle. And we tend to draw on individualistic frames like, like hard work. Um, but one of the points of critical race theory is that, um, each of us is coming from a different set of experiences. Um, and, and understanding that diversity is valuable for uh, removing those obstacles. And I think that's a, a really important thing. Hard work is important. We should overcome our obstacles, but we should also work to remove those obstacles uh, in society. And maybe thinking about that uh, in that way is helpful. Well, I appreciate your insight and perspective on this uh, today and engaging with a very challenging topic, which it we is. know will be with us uh, for uh, months, special session, and and even longer as we see how this plays out. But I hope this has been helpful to our listeners today. Uh, thank you, Dr. Derek Lehman, Assistant Professor of Sociology here at Tarleton State. And we will continue to follow this issue as it moves through the state legislature as well as around the country, different developments. This is something that probably could rise as high as the Supreme Court in terms of constitutional challenges and and, and may uh, 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 invigorate the debate even more in our country. I want to thank you for joining us today on Politics. Be sure to join us each week, Sundays at noon, right here on KTRL 90.5 FM. This has been a Tarleton Radio Network podcast with production from me, Taylor Welch, and me, Brianna Blanks. Find more great shows by searching Tarleton Radio Network wherever you get your podcasts.